Our scripture reading this morning is Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. And our sermon today is entitled, Water from the Rock. This is the Lord's word. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What should I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us? or not. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Amazing. We come to the end of our series in Exodus chapter 1 through 18. There are two more passages to read, but if you're following along in our devotionals, you'll be reading them this week. And next week, we'll be starting our series on Paul's letter to the church at Colossae or Colossians. As we've read through Exodus 1 through 18, we have seen the great story of Israel's redemption. And I hope that you have seen above all else that Exodus 1 through 18 is about God and his faithfulness. God and his desire for his own glory. God and his desire for all peoples to see that he is God and he alone will redeem. I hope that you've seen the themes of Pharaoh and his pardoned heart to see perhaps in your own self that the silliness of a hard heart hits home to all of us. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all stubborn before the Lord. We saw that as God manifested more and more of his miracles towards Pharaoh and, and sort of just showed more and more of himself, exponentially, Moses' heart got even harder and harder. And yet God, by his infinite grace and infinite wisdom, uses it to show forth his glory, that he is the judge of all that he alone stands as God. There is no rival to him. We've also seen, as we will continue here as well, the foolishness of Israel 
as well. You might identify more with Pharaoh, but I'm sure you identify with the Israelites as well. They've seen miracle after miracle, these plagues that the Lord brought about. God even distinguishes them by allowing darkness only to fall on Israel. But in Goshen, there, there is no dark, darkness. There is light. It's like a, a spotlight has fallen on those who believe in Christ. And yet they grumble and grumble and grumble. But what does God do? Does God forsake them? Does God judge them? God redeems them. God redeems people like us who grumble. And he does so with his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. And he calls us his host, his army, his people. When the people of Israel are united to God through Moses and God expands his kingdom through his mighty acts. It is us who follow in that wake as victors as well. And as people who are victorious, we, we enjoy what God has done for us. We don't gloat, but we are humbled that God still chooses to love us in the midst of our grumbling. Now, it's not an excuse for us to continue to grumble. But we know that we have a God who never forsakes and a God who will never, ever judge us by our own standards. But he himself, through his grace and his mercy, will take on all the judgment so that you can reap all the benefits of knowing him. Exodus is a powerful story. And I hope that all of you will finish the book of Exodus itself. That you will see how these themes continue on to the very end. you will see the Israelites continuing to grumble and yet God's faithfulness enduring. You'll see that God in the end in his faithfulness will bring out a remnant, a people, that these people will worship him. And then if you continue on for Exodus through the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see once again that people will keep failing and failing. And it's like God is sort of sifting through the nation of Israel, trying to find some faithful people who will follow him. And there's candidates left and right of people who may follow him. Moses, David, Elijah, the prophets. But everyone is lacking. Until we get to the end of the Old Testament. And we find that the true Israel is Christ himself. That it is Jesus and Jesus alone who is the perfect Israelite. 
who worships God without grumbling, who loves his Father and follows all that he commands. And he does so for your sake and for the glory of his Father in heaven. This is the story of Exodus, and this is the story of the Old Testament. Be amazed at what God has done. Be amazed at God's forbearance, his patience, his perseverance. Be amazed that he's done all this over centuries and centuries so that humanity, you and I, could fully understand who Jesus is. Jesus did not come in a vacuum. Jesus is not a modern 21st century man. Jesus does not come with, with our own understanding of what history is and what he should be. Jesus comes in the context of Scripture. And it is this Jesus that we need to hold fast to, to understand. As you heard me last week saying, I, I encourage all of you, perhaps it'll be spring break, perhaps it'll be over the summer, just read the whole Bible through, please. I know most of you growing up, you in churches, you just read scripture piecemeal or you just memorize verses here and there. Just read from Genesis to Revelation. Do so in about, if you read about a couple hours a day, it'll take you maybe about a month or even less, depending on how fast you read. And just enjoy it as a story. Put aside war and peace, if that's your thing. Put aside the, you know, the, the series on, what's his name, The Lord of the Rings, whatever it may be. Just, just read the Bible. You who are young, the, the kids as well. Just get a, a children's Bible if you need to. Just read from beginning to end. We may not understand everything, but I guarantee you, you will see the big strokes of God's grace and God's redemption. And you will be in awe that you are part of that story. And once you realize you are a part of that story of God's redemption, you will worship him in awe and in reverence. You see, people like to go to Comic-Con and stuff like that, right? They like to dress up as Harry Potter or whatever these things are because they want to be part of a story, albeit a fictional story, but part of a story. You know, I know that these comic books, they've, there's, so many different there's so many different worlds now, I don't, multiverses or whatever. I think that's a, anyway, that's a whole other, other commentary. But, but everyone wants to be a part of something but you already are in Christ. And you don't have to dress up in a costume, but Christ lives in you. And Christ from the inside out is changing you. You are bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You are growing every day in understanding your sinfulness, but understanding God's grace. You're understanding that when you look at your past self, 
that if you were God, you would be like so harsh on your past self. But you know that God is gentle. And so hopefully as you grow each and every day, you're more gentler with yourself and gentler with other people. Knowing that God loves us as we are. This is the theme of the Old Testament. This is the theme of Scripture. This is what the pulpit ministry is about, to teach you about God. This is what you do when you go home and you read the Bible. Not as a fortune cookie, not as things to simply do, but to read and enjoy what God is doing and what he has done. That in many ways you think less of yourself as the protagonist of the story of life, but you see God as the protagonist. And that you yourself see yourself doing your, doing your part willingly to the Lord, whatever it may be. That when you see God come back in glory, when those last pages of history are written, you can exalt and say, that's my Jesus. That's my God. That's what I longed for. And when the Lord comes and new heavens and new earth are established, and the great sea of believers is worshiping him, you will look around and enjoy the fellowship of all the people worshiping Jesus. This will be nothing like any concert that any human being can put on. Nothing like any convention that you could go to. This will be the living God appearing before you. We will sing to the Lord with our voices. And our voices will sound so sweet to one another. And it should sound sweet right now to one another as well. And Jesus, the light of the world, will shine. There will be no more darkness. From that point forward, as the end of history and time as we know it, and we'll be living in a time called eternity. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how time works in eternity. I, I don't. But I don't need to. And you don't need to. All we know is that the God who's been faithful to us so far, who has promised us that inheritance of heaven, he surely will make it good and glorious and wonderful for all his people. Read the Bible. Read the story. Get caught up in what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Marvel at the themes that you see in scripture. Marvel at the characters that are there. Don't over-spiritualize the Bible. Read it as it is. God's spirit in you will apply it. That's the only spiritualization that you need to know. There is no hidden language. There's no 
hidden context. It's just right there in front of you. Augustine, when he was trying to figure out his own life, he himself was living in a life that was not becoming of a man uh, who was, a, was devoted to the Lord. But he heard a voice one day, and he had before him the book of Romans. Right, didn't have the whole Bible together, just the book of Romans and other letters as well. And he heard the Lord say to him, take it and read. And he took it and he read. So I encourage all of you, take God's word once again. Just read. I remember when I was in, in Wisconsin, and this was the first time in a long time that I didn't have to preach or teach. I was just in school, just studying, and for the first year, I didn't do any work at church. I was just studying and just enjoying my time with the Lord. And for those of you who are aged, you might, this might sound good to you. I, but, but that was when I first got into drinking wine. I was like, okay. okay. And, and so what I would do is in the evenings, I would just take a small glass of wine, get my Bible for an hour, just read, drink, and enjoy my time with the Lord. Whatever it is that you need to do, wind down. Enjoy the book that the Lord has given you. All right, that was only supposed to be a two-minute introduction, but you know, I got carried away there for all of you. But I cannot stress how much the, the story of the Bible itself really sort of meshes together. And for us not to get too caught up in our everyday life too much. Read the Bible, read the narratives. And then the life that God wants you to live, we pray that the inspiration of Scripture would compel you to follow the Lord. So this is the final message in our series today. And it'll be short. It'll be short. So here in our passage, we see that Israel has been delivered. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've seen their enemies die as the walls of the sea covered them. And God says to them, you know, you guys, I'm not going to take you straight to the promised land, but we're going to walk around a little bit. Because I want you, Israel, to know that I am your God. And I want you to acknowledge that I am all you need. And so God does this by, by taking, them, taking them around to different places. And we see that each time the people grumble. And they grumble over good things. I mean, this is stuff that you and I would grumble over. First, they grumbled over the fact there's no water. Right? If there's no water, you, you can't survive. And they cried out to God and go, Lord, there's no water. And Moses says, okay, what do you, what do you want me to do? And, and, and they, they, they find this, this, this pool of water and Moses throws a, a piece of wood and this bitter water becomes sweet. 
And God provides for them water to drink. And the people seem happy. The people seem satisfied. They start to see, and they should be able to see and connect, that God himself is the one who will provide their sustenance, sustenance in, in all things. Well, they, they complain again. This time it's about food. That we, have, we have no food to eat. We're, we're wandering. There's, there's, there's nothing to eat. And God, by his grace and his mercy, says, I will send food from above in the morning in the form of, of bread, what we call manna, right? You know, and the people took it and they ate it. It tasted like flakes of bread. Manna in Hebrew literally means what is it? So they took it and they named it what is it? You know, remember back in the day, I don't know, we had a chocolate bar called a whatchamacallit. It was one of my favorite bars. Like, what is this? So what should we call it? What is it? And then God in the evenings provided these small birds, what we probably call quail today, to eat. So, so bread and some protein. God was good to them. Water and food. But God was very precise in when he provided the food. He said that when I give you the food, you're not to save anything. Like, ah. In other words, you're not allowed to be a hoarder if you're an Israelite. You're not allowed to have one fridge, let alone two or three, if I look around here. That each day, I will provide for you. Of course, there are people who didn't listen, so they took some of the bread and they saved it, and the next day it turned moldy. It was, it was uneatable, unedible. And God said the only time you're supposed to save food is for the Sabbath day. So you just take that day and the next day. And when they say it for the next day, you can see the expectation, oh, it's going to go rotten. But it doesn't. And God is trying to show Israel that not only am I your spiritual father, right? But I am the God who provides for your daily sustenance, your daily needs. Today, as, as believers in Christ, we, we have the Lord's Prayer or Christ's Prayer for us, right? Give us this day our, what, daily bread. That each day God is the one who sustains us and gives us food to eat and water to drink. It is why God has commanded us to, to fast. But there are days that are good for us to fast, to remember that every need that we have is filled by God and that man does not what live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the Lord. A reminder to us that when we're hungry, when we're weak, when we want to grumble, that God will hear you and that God will always provide. It's difficult in this age to really feel that, right? With the, with the access that we have to food and the access that we have to drink. So it's incumbent upon us as God's people to remind ourselves that all that we have is surely a blessing from the Lord. And for us, it's the opposite temptation, right? That we have too much and it's like, well... 
surely God's going to keep providing like this. And to take God sort of as for granted. It's the opposite of grumbling, but it's the same heart. For us as God's people, that's being thankful, grateful for what we have today. And to be giving, generous to those who are in need. God has given us much. Now here in this passage, this is the third time the people have grumbled to Moses about having no water or food. And God tells Moses to strike the rock at Horeb with his staff, right? And he says, if you strike this rock, water will, will come out. And this water will quench the thirst of the people here. And Moses does so. He takes the staff, that, that staff that was a symbol of God's power, and he strikes the rock. And as he strikes the rock, water flows, and the people partake. Now again, we see the people grumbling. We see them almost going over the top. Right? It's like when your when your kids say to you, Oh, you, you don't love me anymore. You you know, you only gave me, you know, two hamburgers instead of three. You usually give me three hamburgers. You know, it's like what well, what's going on here? Oh God, you 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 brought us out here to Egypt again just to die. You know, what's wrong with you, God? Whereas God has always provided for them. And God gives them the water. But it's interesting, right? Moses himself, he's as the leader, as the intercessor between God and the, his people. Moses himself is probably up, up to here. I do not know, know about you, but Moses has the hardest job in the world. Think of it this way. How many of you have siblings? I don't, you don't need to raise your hands. But if you're the oldest, and you're always going to mom and dad and say, Mom, Dad, so-and-so needs this, and you go, and she goes, okay, I need this, but I don't want this. And you go back and go, Mom, Dad, she doesn't want this. Okay. And you're just going back and forth, back, and it's just complaining back and forth. Is that joyful? But Moses himself was as faithful as he could be. Bringing the same complaint to God and knowing that God's going to say the same thing to them, just going back and forth. But here, God, here Moses does something very interesting, right? He wants to commemorate this time by not focusing on God's grace and God's mercy, but he wants to focus this time to remind the people of their hearts and their attitude. And he calls the place Masa and Meribah, which means testing 
and quarreling. Because this is a place where God tested them and they failed. And this is a place where the people kept quarreling with God. Now, in the Old Testament, these names, they like to give names that really fit the event, that fit the occasion. We don't do that anymore, right? You know, imagine if you, you bought this beautiful house, and the house is just full of quarreling. You go, you know what? I'm going to name this house Quarreling. You know, you would say, this is bad voodoo, right? This is, you, know, you, you do this, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to curse us. But Moses wanted to remind his people of their attitude and their sin. in hopes that they themselves would repent, in hopes that they would actually trust in the Lord each and every day and what God was providing. God demonstrates to you, we live in a world today where it's easy to see each other's faults. We live in a world today where we can see our sins pretty clearly, at least to, towards one another. But God wants us to show us our sins that we have committed against him by not loving him, by not loving other people. God wants you to see and for us to see that as human beings who are fallen, that the names that are written on our, on our foreheads is stand condemned without the Lord. Rebels against God in a state of wrath before the living God. He doesn't want to wash this all out and just say everything is okay. Like Moses he wants you to know that we are fallen creatures, enemies of the Lord. But like Moses, he wants them to see the rock that was struck, that has provided the water. He wants you to see that in your sinfulness, in your depravity, that there is grace that has been given to you. That it's not simply your, your physical needs that is the issue here, as it was here, perhaps. But it's your spiritual need of God himself. Your spiritual thirst, your spiritual hunger. That God seeks to quench. This story about Moses and the rock is carried over in scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. And I encourage you to take time and to, to read that passage. It just recalls this whole story and the passages before as well. That God himself here in this time provided the, the bread and the, and the, and the water to, to feed his people. But that the rock that was struck was the rock actually of Jesus himself who was struck. 
that the rock that was struck to provide water is actually the rock of Christ who was struck to provide you spiritually, to feed you and to nourish you. Now it's interesting here. We know that Moses struck a rock at least twice here and, and later on, and he strikes the rock to, to give water. We also know that in the Old Testament, the, the whole idea of the rock being God himself as a representation of God is strong in the Old Testament, in the Psalms and Numbers. Jesus is my rock. I mean, God is my rock and my refuge. God is that which is solid. God is that which is unbreakable. We also know that later on in, in, the, in the rabbinic period, people, the rabbis would try to figure out how was water provided all the time they were in the wilderness? How was, how was, how were they, how was he provided? And the rabbis like to sort of try to fill in the blanks. That's what they do. It's like you take one story, another story. How do we get from here to here? And you just try to find some thread and you just sort of just make it up in, in a lot of ways. And so the rabbi saw the first story of the rock and the last story of the rock and they go, how did God provide water? Ah, maybe they took the rock with them and they carried the rock. Or perhaps there are other places where God did, Moses did strike the rock, but somehow this rock that provided water went with them. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when it talks about the rock of Christ moving along with them, the whole idea is that God himself was always present with the Israelites. And this rock that provided them the water that they needed was simply a precursor to our understanding of the rock of Christ that not only provides water, perhaps, but provides our spiritual needs to quench our spiritual thirst. That Jesus is the rock that was broken for you and for me. That we would no longer be the, those people who are quarreling with God. That we are no longer the people who being tested and failing in God. But that we will be declared friends. We will be declared as those who have Passed the test. Being righteous before the Lord. And being loved by God because of what Christ has done. Now let me say this. I know it's really hard for us in this day and age to connect physical hunger and physical thirst with spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst because we live in the land of plenty. Do not discount what scripture is teaching because of your current circumstances of having as much food as you want to eat. Do not discount what scripture is teaching about your spiritual needs because you can't understand the physical need of it. If you need to understand it, I say to you, Go on a fast for a couple of weeks. You'll understand it. But we as human beings, we are meant to, as spiritual people to be fed physically, to be fed spiritually. That those two intertwine with each other. 
And it is God at the, at the core of things, at the bedrock of things that provides both for us. Are you hungry and thirsty? Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for what they shall be filled. You who are thirsty, come and drink. God wants you to see and to know that he was broken for you. To fill you. To grow you. To satisfy you. So as we here at this church, and as here as individuals, and here as families, as we walk with God himself, let us ask him. Help us never stop hungering for you. Help us never stop thirsting for you. For it is in our hunger, in our thirst for God, that God makes himself known. Praise be to our God, our Savior, and the Spirit who provides everything that we need. Let us pray. Jesus, you are the rock. There is no question about that. Paul, the writer, himself sees that all that has taken place in Exodus chapter 1 through 18 eventually foreshadows you and your coming. People quarreled. People's hearts were hardened. Yet you were faithful. But the question still remained, on what basis can God still be faithful? A God who is just. A God who desires to share mercy. But someone had to pay the penalty. If not, you would not be a God of justice. And so in the end, Lord, you sent your son Jesus because that was all you could do. There was no one else, nothing else that can satisfy your wrath, your holiness. And so instead of a rock being struck to provide water, it was our Savior that was struck, his body that was broken. It was not water that was spilled, but blood. And in so doing, Lord God, you accepted the penalty We thank you that from Jesus flows streams of living waters, spiritual waters, that satisfies our deepest needs, Lord God, our need for forgiveness, 
our need to belong, our need to know you. So we thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.